0: as close to perfect as it could be with guys interviewing in the playoffs, could it be better?
1: Yes, it could be better. No, it's definitely not perfect. I think, and you've mentioned this before, and I don't think enough people probably talk about it. The process for hiring people who are going to run a multi-billion dollar business is unlike every other multi-billion dollar business in the world. In any, in any fortune 500 company, there would be a months long search. You would, you know, talk to a lot of different people. You would take them through potentially four or five, six rounds of interviews. They would interview with a whole lot of different people. Um, And this is such a compacted schedule.
2: The Greenlight Podcast welcomes you. A fun and filled pack Wednesday show for you today. We talk coordinator news in the NFL, Bobby Slowick, Ben Johnson, Arthur Smith, and Kellen Moore. We go through those four guys, the impacts that they'll have on their teams in 2024. Also, Chris gives a shout out to Sheila Ford-Hamp, the owner of the Detroit Lions, because she is just killing it. Ever, ever since she took over, she's made the right hires, put the right people in the right positions, and she's able to keep one of the top offensive minds in the game in Detroit, Big shout-out to what the Lions are doing. And after the coordinator updates with Chris, we welcome on Hannah Gordon. Hannah's going to talk about the front office aspect of coaching, what coaches need to do in interviews as they prepare, the dynamic between head coaches and GMs, who is in the room from an ownership perspective when these head coaching and GM interviews happen, and the hiring trends going on in the NFL right now. A great interview with a really interesting NFL mind. You'll be able to learn a lot from it. And then afterwards, we end with a little bit of a mailbag, couple questions from you all. Thank you very much for submitting. So enjoy the show and thank you very much for getting us to one hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube. We hit the magic number. We're on to the next one. Much love. We have had enough of Taylor Swift for now.
1: She shouldn't be liberal, she should be a total conservative, given what, given everything. The Pentagon's SIOP unit pitched NATO on turning Taylor Swift into an asset. Yesterday, she flew
2: private from New York City to Baltimore, yet she constantly talks about climate change, so... Just please don't believe everything Taylor Swift says. We're all begging you. I think she should just stick to her singing and let her love life be what it is.
0: The New York Times just speculated she's a lesbian.
2: A new poll shows 18% of voters are likely to vote for whichever candidate Taylor Swift endorses. Uh Uh-oh. Biden effectively has Taylor Swift as his VP. A single
1: post of hers led to 35,000 new registrants. That's arguably more power than the president. She's sharing links. And her boyfriend, Travis Kelce, sponsored by Pfizer.
2: What's her stance on policy? Economic (laughs) policy, foreign policy. I don't think think that'll be. uh...
0: So don't get involved. Don't get involved in politics. We don't want to see you there. I found something in my kid's backpack. My seven-year-old, Waylon. Legit. Actually, his mom found it. She was rooting through the backpack earlier, and she's like, look at this. This is a a piece of paper, and it, it reads super bowl 58 let's go chiefs chiefs versus san francisco if chiefs win travis travis spelled t-r-a-v-i-s-e kelsey marries taylor swift taylor swift is spelled t-a-l-e-r swift it's funny i saw him and nate talking just the other
3: day
2: yeah it's a plant it's a plant nate planted (laughs) that in your son's backpack
0: Then I found a note that read, Dad, I'm joining Antifa. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, Taylor Swift. I've been educating myself on who Taylor Swift is. Taylor Swift is a musical artist that started uh, under the uh, supervision, if you will, of um, the record label Big Machine, right? You guys know about this. And evidently, when Scooter Braun bought the record company, there was a big there was a big hoopla about who owned the music and that sort of thing. Anyways, uh, now she's joining the Big Red Machine, not the Reds, but she's joining Big Red and the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, nineteen eighty nine, the album. You know what happened in nineteen eighty nine? Communism ended with the fall of the Berlin Wall in November, December thirteenth. Only a few weeks later. Taylor Swift was born. She's of English and German descent. I wonder how far east her German descent is. The Chiefs love misdirection. Uh, This feels like one big misdirection play, okay? The big red machine, more like the big blue machine. Bear with me here. Look what you made me do. These are lyrics from the song, Look What You Made Me Do. Total psyop, by the way. I don't even know what that word means. Got a list of names. Yours is in red, underlined. I check it once. I check it twice. Oh. What do you, what, what do you think this list of names is about? Do you think it's, it's, it's the voters in America that she's looking to corrupt? I mean, you heard what Fox News was saying at the start of the show. Taylor Swift is a plant. She's a government plant. These are the things I've been hearing this week that that she's a government plant that, that at halftime of the super bowl, she's going to take the field with Travis Kelsey to endorse Joe Biden. These are some of the things I've been hearing this week. So needless to say, I was a little bit troubled when I found that, that, that picture in my, in my son's bag. Those fans at Arrowhead are super woke doing the chop. (laughs) They're all woke. It's the woke agenda. Um, so I just, I, yeah, it, it's, it sounds good. Yeah. She was, you know, she was born the year communism died. She wants to, you know, like, or maybe she's a, she's, she's a plant. You know what I mean? Maybe she's a, she's a plant. Maybe she's a communist. Maybe, uh, maybe she's playing the long game guys. You heard what Fox news said in the, at the opening of the show. I don't know. What does psyop mean, Matt? means
3: psychological operation it's like a way of distracting a populace to do something that is against their own self-interest
0: well it's working okay uh because i'm gonna buy my son tickets to a taylor swift concert at some point (laughs) listen in all seriousness i did really find that note but two offensive coordinators this week have found homes um, or there, there are two uh, offensive coordinator coordinator positions that were just filled. The one that I wanted to talk about first was um, was Kellen Moore in Philly. And listen, Philly at the very least, and I have to be careful about this stuff. Cause I don't want to sound like somebody who's endorsing a coach, you know, like, I don't know how these things are going to work out. I was at the airport today and some guy I was on the tarmac and the guy was like, Hey, I saw you endorse Vic Fangio. Like, like I'm Taylor Swift. I'm not Taylor Swift, I, I'm just on my pod, educating people on you know, what you might come to expect if Vic, Vic Fangio is gonna be the coach schematically, where he's been, some of the highlights of his career. I don't know if it's gonna work out. I feel good about it. I feel good about the fact that they hired him over some other guys. I feel good about the fact that he's a former head coach, and I think this is something that gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. Nick Sirianni, young guy, head coach, right? He's been to the Super Bowl, but it's good to have an older guy in the building. It's good to have a guy in the building that's going to be unafraid of telling Nick Sirianni what he doesn't want to hear it, it, sometimes. And I think also Nick Sirianni strikes me as the guy who, um, you know, if somebody's experience is disarming enough to where he can he can weigh in, he can change your mind from time to time, that's a positive, and I think that's advice and the level of wisdom that, you know, a Nick Sirianni would, would not only benefit from having in the building, but also would, would embrace having in the building. Not to mention the thing we've talked about all year, which is that, that Vic Fangio was there last year. So you have to know that they have some sort of a positive working relationship and, you know, that maybe there's an untold amount of Vic Fangio influence last year in how things were done. I don't think people understand this. Like being a head coach is an exhaustive challenge. We're going to talk about it with Hannah in a little bit, like all the things that a coach has to worry about in today's modern NFL. And Vic Fangio has been a head coach and he's been around the game for a long time. So having that in the building, you've at least got that. I I, I don't, I don't think it's a lateral move. I don't think it's a backwards move. I think it's a move in the right direction. Obviously personnel is going to dictate as much as anything, how that defense plays. <clears throat> Offensively, I think it's nice to know that you've got a guy in Kellen Moore who a year ago was as hot a name as anybody. I know it's not going to be consolation for some Eagles fans who might have wanted somebody else, or maybe you looked at the Chargers play offense this year, but I, I don't really want to judge him off the Chargers year. I don't. like. I think this team has more in common with the Cowboys teams that he coached. And I also think that with some of the injuries and complications in, in, in LA this year, that the grade I would give him would be incomplete, you know, like I'm going to gauge what I'm going to see in the future or trying to predict that off of what happened in Dallas. And, you know, if you look at who Kellen Moore is in the same vein of me laying out schematically who I think Vic Fangio is, I think he's a West coast guy that puts a twist on it, you know, When you think West Coast offense, you think of Dinkin and Duncan, you think of the short game, you think of quick release, um, a run game that marries with the pass concepts. um, And you see that so often with some of these West Coast tree guys. But don't get it twisted. This guy is not a Dinkin dunk guy. You know, he's going to take shots vertically. He prefers having that element in his, his game plans. And I think that's a good thing. And it's not going to be music to people's ear in Philly who were screaming all year about short game. I think he's going to have those elements in his offense. You know, he's going to have hots. He's going to have, uh, easy answers for quarterback. But I also think having that vertical element will make them look more like 2022. Um, I, I think if things work out, you can have those vertical elements and also go back to some of the elements that shane steichen had you know some of the more jalen hurts friendly crossing kind of patterns and um you know the underneath stuff that can complement the deep stuff and i i i think this could work out really well i'll lay out two scenarios for you you know one where it works out one where it doesn't um i think one positive is you want to look more like the team that ran the ball he's going to do that you know that's that's his bread and butter. I mean, he loves 12 personnel. He loves to pound the rock. They love to have a ground control element to that offense where, where Kellen Moore was in Dallas. Like, that was a big part of it. I think you'll see a better run game with Kellen Moore. At the very least, the passing concepts, the fit with Jalen, that remains to be seen. If it works out, I think it'll look more like 2022 with some of the explosive elements. I think the run game will be more of a... Uh, you know, of, of a factor as it should be. I think th- that he has better wide receivers in this offense than he did in Dallas, you know, in Dallas, they had some firepower, but you know, when you've got a, an AJ Brown and Devonte Smith and Dallas Goddard, like I'm looking at that, that, that set of weapons. And I'm saying this might be my best menu to choose from, Uh, yet as a play caller so that that's all positive Um, the negatives or you know the scenario where it might not work out is and it might have nothing to do with 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 uh, the coordinator is you know like the offensive line which has been such a consistent and predictable strength of this team that could change a little bit next year I don't think it's going to be a weakness but with Jason Kelsey possibly retiring how how much does does that affect the scheme I mean how many centers 23 years old, 33 years old, whatever, get out and run in space like Jason Kelsey does. The guy runs like he's 21 years old. And, you know, one of one of the lasting images of Kelsey that I'm going to have in my head is him in the open field. You know, if you think of Jason Kelsey before the tush push, you know, w- what did you think of? You thought of this this guy running... Uh, four nine down the field to, to get the linebacker, the safety, or, you know, a guy that you can pull and get out on the edge from this, the center position. Like that is, that's not something that most teams have. And, you know, at least not to the the degree that Jason Kelsey has, has it. And so, you know, like if he's not there, how does that change some elements of the run game? They're going to be under center more. Like I said, throw out, the Chargers' year, they were eighth in shotgun snaps. The Chargers' year, I, even if they're eighth, that's a big deviation from the way they've been. You know, like they they are barely under center in, in an offense with Jalen Hurts at this point. And so, like if you look at Dallas, when he was in Dallas, they were in gun twenty uh, fifth in the league. Like they they ran the the twenty fifth highest uh, clip of gun plays. Okay, with the Chargers, I said it was eighth. You know, the Eagles are first. And so how does Jalen Hurts respond if he has to go under center a little bit more? Or does he say, hey, listen, we're going to hover around fifth. You know, we need you under center a little bit more, but we're not going to look like we looked in Dallas. And that could just be a, a player preference thing. That could be something he meets Jalen in the middle on if it is a Jalen thing. Motion, I do think, is something that he cannot afford to meet Jalen in the middle on. I think they need a lot more pre-snap motion in this offense. And I think you'll get it with him. Like when he was in Dallas, they were 13th in motion and pre-snap motion. When he was in LA, they were seventh in pre-snap motion. Philly is 30th in pre-snap motion. That's something we talked about this year at length. So I I think if you're looking in the column of maybe it doesn't work out, it's not because his scheme doesn't have value. I think, I think, you you look at a couple of these variables and you say, I just don't know. I just don't know how how that would work out. Like if Jalen struggles under center, is that going to be an impediment to him? If Jalen wants a static picture and doesn't want motion pre-snap, is that going to be an impediment to him? But I'm pretty sure all this has been discussed. So it'll be interesting to see how much of that is Jalen's unwillingness or inability to do those things and how much of it is just they haven't committed to it and truly gone through the process of grooming him to be a little bit different. And so I, I'm, I'm interested to see how those things manifest. Endorsement? I don't know. But I I do think it's a move in the right direction. And as I mentioned, you have a defensive coordinator who's been a head coach. That's invaluable. His scheme, highly thought of. And yeah, over the last couple of years, people have caught up a little bit some of his disciples. But this is the guy that kind of – he was the trailblazer. So let's see how this works out. I, I'm I'm really excited about these two moves. Uh they could be a lot worse. Okay. I didn't say endorsement, but um I am excited. Uh and then Arthur Smith. Arthur Smith hired by the the Steelers. And I think, you know, for the most part, with the Steelers, they like to hire guys from within, right? Like it's it's truly one of those programs where, you know. And there's only a few of these places, really, where they prefer that it be one of their own, whether it's a coordinator on offense or a defensive coordinator or, you know, somebody in personnel. I just get the, the idea that this is a place that values continuity and people that have come up in the building. Arthur Smith is a little bit outside the mold there. And I think he's also, also outside the mold because this is the first chance that they've taken on a dude since I've basically been out of the league. And by dude, I mean a guy with a reputation, a guy who's either been a head coach, a guy who's who's thought of as a highly sought-after play caller at any point in his career. Todd Haley was kind of the last guy, right? Like, they've cycled through a couple guys since Todd, including Matt Canada, and they kind of felt like half measures. They felt like – it felt like Bill promoting, you know, the wrong guys from within to be offensive coordinators or what have you. I – this feels like taking a chance and I like it. You know, that this feels, and I also think, again, having another head coach in the building, Tomlin doesn't need any help, but it does, it's a net positive. You know, the, it can't hurt to have that experience. Even if he failed within that experience, you learn things. Um, and I also think like when you weigh Arthur Smith's time in Atlanta against maybe future outcomes, it's hard to say, you know, how affected any of these guys are by having to to shoulder the responsibilities that head coaches have to shoulder while calling plays. Like, it's insane to me to think about as I sit there playing Madden, trying to keep track of what defenses, you know, the dude on the other end of of PS5 Live has been in. It, it it's it's hard for me to 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 keep track of the clock. It's hard for me to keep track of a whole host of things. And I'm just playing a video game. Now imagine that there are constant conversations going on throughout the game about timeout usage, about personnel, about, you know, like how we're going to adjust to this and that fires, you got to put out on the sideline, all those things, including during the week, having to be the architect of a week of preparation, including having to coordinate travel, including having to make decisions on things that people at home think are kind of inconsequential they're all consequential while trying to devise a game plan and then call the plays like i'm not going to judge arthur smith's time in in atlanta in in a in a manner that i'm going to hold it against him I, I i've seen him call plays successfully in the nfl in 2019 and 2020 He got the best out of Tannehill. He got the best out of Derrick Henry. And you could say, hey, that's a perfect storm. Those guys are in the primes of their careers. It could have been anybody, but I do think he was a perfect fit there. And if you look at those guys statistically, they had their best years when Arthur Smith was in Tennessee. And, you know, when he left, you could say, hey, Derrick Henry, a little longer in the tooth. Tannehill, the magic runs out a little bit. But I think especially with the quarterback seeing those results makes me feel good about what they could get out of the guys they have in Pittsburgh. Now the big differences to me when it comes to what he's done, you know, customarily and what Pittsburgh has done at least this past year is play action pass. Like that's a huge one. And I don't know if it's a thing where at the end of the season, they became more of a power running team. And I understand that Atlanta, a little bit more outside zone, a little bit more edge stuff, but in spirit, it's the same thing. It's committing to saying, hey, we are a running football team. You know what position group was probably the most pissed off that Arthur Smith got fired? The offensive line. They love that guy. And I don't think, and there might be some pushback here, I don't think Atlanta's got the most talented group up front. Now, they're a very good group, right? They've got guys like Lindstrom. You know, They've got guys like Jake Matthews who have been there a long time. But I don't look at that group and say, damn, they just have loads of talent. And I know Pittsburgh's less talented, less heralded up front. They'll make additions, but he will get the most out of that group. And he'll get the most out of the run game. Now, play-action pass coming off of that, that's something that Pittsburgh left money on the table with. They were 31st in the league when it came to play-action attempts. Okay, like Arthur has been top five everywhere he's gone. So... If you want to know what they're going to look like, I think the run game is going to be a big part of that. And I think the play action will be something that, especially when you have two quarterbacks on the roster right now, although they're not accustomed to it, can be the best friend of an average quarterback. Play action can really be a tool for a guy that's not a world beater. And right now, if you look at that roster, you've got Kenny Pickett, Mason Rudolph, and they're talking about these two are kind of kind of duel it out and there's a competition if that's the case, play action will help these guys. Now there's a wild card scenario here. You know who was first in the league last year in play action? Is the Minnesota Vikings. And I've 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 talked about this before. I talked about it last week. I think the Vikings and Kirk Cousins situation is one that that not enough people are paying attention to because I think he is he's a good veteran quarterback who can win you games and he's going to be on the market possibly. And he's going to command a lot of money still at his age 36 coming off an achilles um i think he's a guy that pittsburgh could look at and i also wonder if this this move is instructive in thinking maybe there is a wild card kind of quarterback that they have in mind that they could they could acquire or go after and maybe Kirk cousins is that guy because he is a play-action Dude, I mean, that he's made a lot of his hay over the course of his career, turning his back to the defense, gathering his feet, and delivering and firing downfield. Like, would you rather have Kirk Cousins or Ryan Tannehill? Um, I think Kirk Cousins, as his career has gone on, people have appreciated him more appropriately as maybe not an elite quarterback, but somebody you, you can definitely win with, and you can win with it if you got a run game. You can win with Kirk Cousins if play action is a part of the the equation, and if you are Arthur Smith, I look at the the Tennessee model. Whether it's Kirk Cousins or somebody else or the guys on the roster, you have your version of an AJ Brown and George Pickens. I'm not saying he's AJ Brown, but I think he's wildly talented, and you have your version of a Derrick Henry in Najee Harris. Now he's not Derrick Henry but you've got a big bruising back and a very talented number one receiver. And I think he might look at the bones of this team and say, Hey, we, we can, we can win this way with this formula. And so I think this is number one, an outlier when it comes to Pittsburgh making a hire, right? Like they're, they're going outside the building. Tomlin's very loyal to a fault, slow to get rid of Canada, but he did the right thing. And now I think this hire is in line with uh, what I would do if I was up there I'd go get an experienced play caller and somebody that that puts an onus on the run game and puts an onus on play action pass especially in that division right that that quick game bullshit that they were doing for a couple years the the lack of creativity the predictability um you you're not you're bringing a knife to a gunfight in the AFC North and on top of it it's not it's not complex. There's no differentiating factor to your team. So you're not physical and you're not creative. And now at the very least, I know they're going to be physical and I've seen Arthur be creative. So I don't know. Maybe I'm selling hope. I don't want to make this an endorsement again. Uh, but Pittsburgh fans, I think you got to be excited to have a real live offensive coordinator in the building for the, for the first time in a half decade. You know, this, this guy has done it. Which leads me to my next topic which is ben johnson this was like big news man and for lions fans dude i your worst day right now you've had a lot of bad days but the other day was bad right you it's almost worse to lose in the conference championship the way you guys did give up a 17 point lead the the fourth down decisions the timeout like the drops the lack of execution and that's something that listen i didn't get into this on our show but the, the more time that has passed, the less I blame Dan for the fourth down decisions. I blame Dan for taking the time out late in the game. I, and I blame Ben for that too, right? You got to have a second play in that situation. You're leaving the fate of your season in the hands of an onside kick the minute you take that time out. And to me, I thought that was the cardinal sin. The more I looked at the fourth down you know, calls, and I talked about this on Monday, Okay. It's what you do, right? Like that's who you are. If the analytics support it, there's an analytics crowd out there that I know that, you know, like get painted in a bad light sometimes and by meatheads like me and that sort of thing. I think analytics um are an incredible tool, but you have to, it's ultimately it is about the guy who's holding the tool, right? It's a tool. How the, how the guy holding the tool, the head coach or the play caller, How the guy holding that tool uses the tool is ultimately what makes analytics powerful or, or irresponsible. Um, and I'm not here to make a determination on what Dan knew or didn't know, but I know one thing he did know factoring that into the analytics and weighing kicking field goals against going for it on fourth and three or or fourth and short later in the, in the quarter, um, Badgley, their kicker. When I looked at his numbers, I, I, I completely understand the decision, especially when you consider the fact that Reynolds has the ball in his hands. Okay, you're you're up 14. You have an opportunity to go up 17. I know what Dan's thinking. He's, he's like, let's go up 21. Remember that stat about Kyle Shanahan and being down in the fourth quarter and that sort of thing? They just got done scoring quick, right? And before you knew it, after that situation, they'd scored again twice more. in in a flash. I think one of their later touchdown drives was seven minutes, but they were putting points up and chunking them with ease in the second half. And so, you know, like from a standpoint of outscoring the team, I understand it, but more than anything, I understand it from a, from a perspective of the kicker was literally on a practice squad very recently Uh, was not your starting kicker to start the season. I think his first or his last outdoor kick was in january of 2023 and it went wide and when you looked at him outside between 40 and 47 i think he's 66 percent on his career and at 47 or higher i think i think his field goal percentage dips down below 60 and so when you look at lining a guy up who hasn't had to make a kick of this magnitude outdoors in the better part of a calendar year um i i understand it i understand not putting the fate of your team um, in the kicker's hands. I I do get that. So it's not lost on me, but long story short, terrible day for Detroit, Detroit fans, even with everywhere you've been. But how about this consolation prize? Really? I mean, this is a big deal because I was at inside the NFL today and there were guys that were like, we were talking about, can Dan Campbell get back there after making a mistake like this? First off, I think you can, and I think the evidence is right over there on the other sideline in that game Sunday. Okay, I've played in a game where Kyle Shanahan, you can put it on Dan Quinn, Kyle Shanahan's the offensive coordinator. They're up eight at the 25-yard line, basically, with a chance to win a Super Bowl under four minutes. Okay, their win probability was right up there with Detroit's win probability, up 17. Wherever you want to, however you want to slice it, they had a 90 plus percent chance of winning that game when they were up eight down there and they took a sack trey flowers they incurred a holding penalty they're out of field goal range because they didn't run the ball and if you're going to tell me that dan campbell is disqualified from ever getting back on this stage i would tell you to look no further than the guy who's playing in the biggest game of the season this year because there was a time where i could point to kyle shanahan and say he's the reason that team didn't win a super bowl he's the reason i have a ring um, he's the reason I have two rings, because if it's not for for Kyle Shanahan throwing the ball, uh, I don't have one ring, and I might retire, and I might not end up in Philly. So I I look at the Dan Campbell situation, and I say there's nothing telling me they can't get back where they were Sunday. Um, and if Ben Johnson's back, there's absolutely nothing telling me they can't can't get back where they were. There were guys on the set today that were talking about this very issue, and they said that if Ben Johnson leaves, Dan Campbell will get fired you know in the next year i I don't know if that's true or not because I don't know who, he'd, who who he'd hire at coordinator or how good it would be or if he'd be able to replace Ben Johnson, but the bottom line is he's not leaving, and I don't know what he's being paid right now. I know what he was asking for. supposedly some people were a little bit spooked by the numbers he was he was he was talking about. <clears throat> uh, I can't get into did they give him a handshake deal that they were going to pay him more money down the line or something. Did did, did Sheila Fordham and him have a handshake deal? Are they going to restructure the contract in good faith here coming up soon? Um, maybe Carolina just blew up his, his value to where other teams were like, yeah, we can't pay you what David Tepper offered you. If that's what you think you're going to get here, you're not going to get it. There's so much that I don't know. But what I do know is uh, that the commanders and the Seahawks were not better opportunities than staying put for him. And I think not enough coaches think this way, right? Um, I I think not enough coaches play the long game. And it's easy for me to say because, as, as I'm about to discuss with Hannah, every situation is different, and it is like the stock market. Your name could be hot one year. And it could cool off inexplicably in the next year or two. And a lot of it can be because of the team you're on, you know, like for Dave Canales, maybe Dave Canales is like, I got to jump right now. You know, like, am I going to get two years out of Baker Mayfield like that? I think it's a vote of confidence for Ben Johnson to stay when it comes to Dan Campbell. It's a vote of confidence for Dan for, for Ben Johnson to stay when it comes to Jared Goff. I think it's a vote of confidence for the culture in Detroit. I mean, If you're really thinking about this, um, and you're a Detroit Lions fan, just consider this for a second. There was a time where you couldn't get a free agent to sign in Detroit. Like, I don't need to look it up, but that wasn't on the list for a lot of guys, right? Like, that's not an attractive destination. Nothing against the city of Detroit, but like, guys are looking at Miami, LA, New York, like big markets, warm weather, you know, off the field opportunities. In today's NFL, free agency, that stuff matters, and if you're not winning and you're not in a city like that, it's gonna be hard to bring free agents in, and that Detroit Dark Cloud has followed that franchise for for decades, right? Through Through different iterations of ownership and the whole thing, you are not the same Detroit Lions. Look no further than this situation. This is rare that a guy with a name this hot decides to stay with the team he's coaching He has opportunities to go a whole host of places and he decides that he wants to stay in Detroit with Dan Campbell, the guy who said he was going to bite people's kneecaps and Jared Goff, a guy that Sean McVay, one of the brightest offensive minds in football decided to discard. Okay. You guys have something different going on now. And since 2020, when Sheila Fordham took over, all she's done has hit buckets All she's done has been to make the right moves, you know, whether it was the easy moves like firing Matt Patricia and the GM uh, or the tough moves like hiring Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes and bringing on Spielman to be her kind of executive assistant who helped her find Dan Campbell and has weighed in on an unknown amount of big decisions that she's had to make. But I just wanted to say this. Ownership is the one area in the NFL that there can be a giant variability in the skill level and, and outcomes as it pertains to making decisions and hiring coaches and doing what's right for the franchise. There are only so many quarterbacks in the league. The delta between the best one and the worst one, I bet the delta between the best owner and the worst owner is bigger. And I think Sheila has done a tremendous job, not only being a woman in in the NFL, but also just being no bullshit, seeming to be deferential to people around her when it comes to tough decisions, seeming to surround herself with the right football minds and seeming to be a good teammate. And I don't think it's insignificant that this gal was a Yale tennis star. Like, I I didn't know that. She's a collegiate athlete. How many of these owners have athletic backgrounds, you know? One of the only gals running an NFL team happens to be one of the biggest jocks, right? And I think also that that mindset can permeate into the culture of an organization, whether you know it or not. I, I think she's done a tremendous job. And I think because of Sheila and because of the hires that she's made, you are not the old... Detroit Lions. You are the new Detroit Lions. So I know that on Monday when you wake up, the sky is falling, and you know you're going to revert back to the old Lions. Like you just know, hey, that was fun. It's fucking over. That's who we. That's not who we are. Who we are is what we're going to return to being, and it's going to be that way for an unknown unknown amount of time. When Dan Campbell says, "I can't guarantee you, you're going to get back here," you know, when Dan Campbell tells the players that, which is a very real thing that's what any coach is telling their players right unless you've got patrick mahomes or somebody like that like you never know the window is not guaranteed sometimes you don't know it's closed at all sometimes you don't know it's going to close in the next year um you don't know how big that window is but i do know that you are doing things organizationally the right way and this this today is evidence of that and the fact that you are not the same old lions Because how many teams are retaining hotshot coordinators just on the strength of the culture of your team and the head coach and the outlook? Because this guy knows if I stay and things don't go well, I could become one of these coaches who disappear off the face of the earth and we don't hear about them in the next hiring cycle. He's deciding to take that risk and I think it's telling. I think you should bet the the overwin total on the Detroit Lions next year because Ben Johnson said so.
2: Another coach who is staying with his team, Bobby Slowick, in Houston. Which team do you think has the better outlook for twenty twenty four between the Texans keeping Slowick and Detroit keeping Ben Johnson?
0: Well, it's interesting because one one team and Slowick's a perfect example of this. Slowick is getting a raise. Okay. And I don't know why I don't know why owners don't do this more. Back the the Brink truck uh and pay a guy that might be the key to your, your biggest investment success in CJ shroud. If it's working, like let's kick the can down the road on you leaving. How much money does it take? Right. And Gerard Johnson staying, right? Like he was interviewing for some positions. He's saying, he's staying like, these are positive indicators. These are like, Hey, we've got something going here. I don't know why enough. I don't know why more coaches don't do this. Right i understand that the the risk of of it all not jumping when it's time to jump but when you got cj stroud i want to ride this train for a couple years right i believe in the quarterback that much i believe in D'Amico that that much now on the other side of things you've got as many cold-blooded apex predators in the afc as i can remember at any time right with the emergence of cj stroud maybe justin herbert with with uh with with harbaugh is a lot better uh you obviously got Mahomes, burrow the whole gang josh allen the list goes on if you're in the yeah. nfc and you're the, the 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 detroit lions one of the positives you have is that you are in the nfc and there are no there are no patrick Mahomeses, there are no joe burrows there are no there's one guy in my opinion that that's in that elite category and that's matt stafford so we were talking about this today when it comes to the NFC and the AFC, and you look at that Final Four, it's very telling. In the AFC, you need one of those guys, right? You need one of those guys. To beat Mahomes, you need a great team, you need one of those guys, you need a couple tries at it, right, if you're lucky. In the NFC, we just saw Brock Purdy and, Jer- and Jared Goff go toe-to-toe for the NFC championship. Roster construction works in the NFC. Putting that first works in the NFC. So if you're a team evaluating free agency, possibly trading back in the draft, trading up in the draft, whatever it is, attacking that position. If I'm in the NFC, it's not to say I don't, if I see a special quarterback, I don't take a stab at it, but the reality is different. And so I think if you ask me that question, who's got a better shot, they have totally different challenges, right? One guy's got the next dude, um, Bobby Slowick in CJ shroud and one guy's got this tremendous culture and system that they built and evenly distributed playmakers. And yeah, you could use a, a big number one maybe in Detroit, but you have a lot of pieces there. And both those teams that played in the NFC championship are roster constructed type teams where the strength of those teams, the quarterback, they're pluses, right? I'm not here to slander those guys, but it is about the roster construction. So I think, Another interesting element of this whole thing is you see Adam Schefter get on with the Ben Johnson news breaking and saying, like, you know, Ben's loyal. That's you know, that's the spin that we're putting on it. And maybe that is true, but maybe he's just smart too. Right? Because I think in this situation he's being a good businessman. He may well be loyal, but sometimes the loyal decision is also the smart decision. This
3: this whole thing with the coordinators makes me think about Luke Walton. Had the perfect scenario as assistant coach with Golden State. Could have gone on and won like multiple titles, left, went to the Lakers. That failed. You know, now he's an assistant coach again.
0: Yeah. I mean, a lot of it's timing. It's like, do I get on the bus or do I stay? Um, and hopefully it works out for both these guys because I like them both, Ben and Bobby Sloick. Um, and they've got stuff they can learn from. Ben Johnson and Bobby Slowik just, just completed their first professional playoff runs, right, as coordinators. And, you know, like that for players that play in, in the dance for the first time and for coordinators, I would say even more so for coordinators because, you know, the, you know I, I talk about this all the time. Players in the playoffs, you think they got uh, loads of experience. They make boneheaded plays. Guys who never played in the playoffs make the biggest plays the, of the game. You know, like it happens all the time coordinators though game planning in the playoffs different uh preparing for that game's different the intensity is different the things you're going to see are different and so uh i think these guys will be even better for their experience rounds
3: of interviews as well
0: and rounds of interviews all right well having said all that let's get to let's get to hannah hannah gordon's the guest hannah Gordon has worked as an executive with the Niners with the Raiders. She worked for Al Davis. I do not know Hannah Gordon. Well, um, I was texting with a friend who used to work in a front office and I was like, Hey man, what gives with this coaching hiring process? I mean, it just seems like the wild West when you don't, when you don't know the ins and the outs of the, the guardrails of the whole thing. You can find yourself asking questions like mine, which is like, how the fuck do coaches have all this time to do all this interviewing and prep and get ready for, you know, a deep playoff run? I mean, that's what these guys are asked to do. Uh, The guys in the hiring cycle right now, we're going to talk about coaches in a second that just got jobs. We're going to talk about some coaches who are still out there uh but more than anything i think what's so interesting is the public knows very little about what goes into hiring an nfl coach and players know very little about what goes into hiring an nfl coach so i'm texting my buddy though the other night and asked him about the process and the whole thing because he used to work for an owner directly and he said man there is a gal that is tremendous on this stuff she's a consultant she's worked in in organizations upstairs she She's worked on diversity inclusion and in in hiring practices in the NFL, which is a really hot topic, but more than anything, she's the one who preps coaches to be ready for these tests and a little look ahead to the interview. I thought one thing she said that was so illuminating is like, if you've been working on this test for your whole life, you should be ready to take it when it's time to take the test. And I, I don't think that's to say just if you've been coaching your whole life, you know, the hay is in the barn. You'll go out and ace the test. I think it more alludes to the the process, you know, and that process, there's a time and a place for it, and I get to find out what it entails talking to Hannah in just a little bit, and so do you. So very interesting, wide-ranging conversation about, you know, what goes on behind the scenes when it comes to hiring NFL coaches. Some of the trends, some of the things we may see happen more – in the future here, hopefully some of the things we might not see happen as much in the future because that process has changed as time has gone on and it will continue to change. So uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Stick around for one or two mailbags at the end. Whatever you're looking forward to this football season, there's one thing that pairs well with every great moment and that is an ice cold Miller Light. Whether you're at the stadium playing fantasy football or watching the game at home, or at the bar, Miller Lite is here to make your football season taste like Miller time. From kickoff to the clock runs out, you can't go wrong with the Miller Lite in your hand. It's the only light beer with a taste worthy of our national obsession. Because what's the point of having beer if it doesn't taste like beer? I go to Dirty Nelly's every weekend. Sometimes I'm prepping for the show at the bar on Saturday night, watching a little college football, getting ready to lay out our Miller Lite moments. Uh, I like to have a nice cold Miller Lite right next to me and the folks at Dirty nellies they know when I get there to have my ice cold Miller Lite. It's got only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs for 12 ounce serving with a smooth taste and a crisp, clean finish. You get the taste you crave without the calories. So this season, crack open a light beer that hits your taste buds so hard you feel it in your heart. Make it Miller time all season long. Get Miller Lite delivered right to your door. Visit MillerLite.com greenlight or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories and 3.2 carbs for 12 ounces. So as promised, this is uh, the one person at the top of my list to tackle all these coaching interview processes, questions. Like, I am in the dark. I have no idea. I'm just a downstairs guy. I want to know how people upstairs live in an NFL building and so I'm having on Hannah Gordon and I'm so excited to welcome Hannah to the show. Hannah how you doing?
1: I'm doing great Chris how
0: are you? I'm doing great we got a mutual friend in James Hall obviously I told people about your history with the Raiders and I know we probably know a lot of the same people from there but the Niners as well and then the work to me that's so interesting um, that you're doing now is some of your consulting stuff uh, with guys who are trying to get head coaching gigs. And I think that's just the NFL schedule is so perfectly laid out all year. When it comes to stories, you know, we get these playoff games right into the hiring cycle and the whole thing. But my first question to you would be, is this process laid out from a chronological standpoint and a timing standpoint as close to perfect as it could be with guys interviewing in the playoffs? Could it be better?
1: Yes, it could be better. No, it's definitely not perfect. I think, and you've mentioned this before, and I don't think enough people probably talk about it. The process for hiring people who are going to run a multi-billion dollar business is unlike every other multi-billion dollar business in the world.
2: In any, in
1: any Fortune 500 company, there would be a months-long search. You would you know talk to a lot of different people. You would take them through Potentially four or five, six rounds of interviews. They would interview with a whole lot of different people. Um, and this is such a compacted schedule. Um, and then the other thing that's wild is that the next layer of interviews and hires happen in a matter of days, sometimes weeks. Whereas if you are an executive taking over a multi billion dollar company somewhere else, it's probably going to take you 12 months to turn over a staff. Right, And bring in the right next layer of people. So is it perfect? No, definitely not. Um, And it's even harder, I would argue, for people who are hired as general managers, because if you're hired as a head coach, you are coming in after that team season that's hiring you at least. but you're three quarters the way through your cycle. If you're a GM, like you're about to hit free agency in the draft and somebody else has been doing the work for that for the last three quarters of the year.
0: Do you find that there is a solution? um, Or do you feel like if you slide one thing here, you're going to, you're going to mess this phase up or that sort of thing. Like, is there a a tweak that they could possibly, is there a tweak they've ever talked about making? Because I think, coming from the player standpoint, it's more just pointing out the hypocrisy of coaches being able to do this. And I understand like, there's no other time to do it. You know, like there are rules and regulations that I'm learning about every day when it comes to the scheduling of these things and the prep time that they can have, but still juxtaposed to players not being able to say boo until the season's end, uh, you know, and, and start their, their journeys into free agency. Like it is a totally different deal. Is there, Is there a distraction element and can they improve upon that?
1: Yeah. So I think the distraction element to me, and obviously I didn't play the game, right? So I don't have your perspective as a player, the potential frustration that your coach is interviewing elsewhere. What I would say is from the flip side of the people doing hiring, if I'm hiring you, to run, really be responsible for the product of my multi-billion dollar business, and I'm gonna pay you millions of dollars a year to do it. I expect that you know how to manage multiple projects at once, right? right? I expect that you are a, a high level, you know, thinking executive with great time management skills who can prepare for the most important game of your life and take a job interview that in theory you've been preparing for for years, right? But really both of those tasks A lot of people would say, like, I've been preparing for this my whole life. So you should be able to handle it.
0: Do you find that any coaches that you've dealt with um, have had trepidation when it comes to multitasking and need a little bit of encouragement when it comes to like, hey, I've got to be able to get you to prep for this a little bit. We know we've been doing it all year. I know you got a big, big championship Sunday coming up, but... Um, you know, these interviews are important to your future. Have you found that coaches have had trouble, uh, wrapping their head around that at times?
1: I mean, again, I don't think so, but uh, you also, you had a great, um, segment you didn't really fully do, which was whose ego is bigger than whose, right? I can't
0: wait to do that segment.
1: Yeah. You've got to do it for one thing, but like only type A personalities go into this line of work. Right. So like, I don't. I th- I think people are fully capable of it. Like I don't think that there is anyone who'd be like gosh, I don't think I want my dream job because I can't I can't handle this. And and on this the way the process has changed that you asked about or that could change, I think the one tweak that has been made in the last few years and we can all probably thank COVID for it and is the virtual interviews right so at least people aren't flying back and forth i mean th- that genuinely i can see why especially as a player you'd be like that's frustrating like you're actually gone for a day and a half right. whereas like if you're hopping on a zoom for an hour like i don't know i don't know yeah
0: that I, 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 I see what you're saying there because it's the physically being away that would be um to me like kind of an impediment to preparing for the game but We do all types of things during the week, whether it's the regular season or the postseason that have nothing to do with football. It's about time management. And I guess that begs the question, what is the biggest commonality from a personality standpoint or there's a trait that you found that kind of ties these dynamic future coaches together, the ones that work out in your experience?
1: I think there's – so – I really do believe that every single person is unique. I think that there's folks who've done incredible analytics, like Prabhupada Marate at the 49ers, um, really trying to study every time he ever did a hiring cycle. Like, are there there things that tie together the folks that are successful? Are there backgrounds? But I think we've seen people come from a lot of different backgrounds who are successful. I mean, I will say, and I think this is probably true of all coaches, not just successful ones. Like, we were talking about, you know, the type a personality, the, their leadership quality, obviously I think you've, you have mentioned before, like, you can't fool a room full of players. And like, I will tell you probably the most intimidating, you know, experiences I've ever had are when I had to like actually present. Cause if you walk into that room, like that is not a room that is, is going to tolerate any nonsense, right? Yeah. Like they, they will smell fear and like you, they
0: smell fear. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like, you know, when I got to go talk to a group of like middle schoolers, I'm scared out of my mind because I feel like they can smell fear too, just like pro football players, you know, like, 100%. so I, I totally, but you can fool owners, can't you? I mean, not that that's the objective, but like, I feel like one of the biggest disconnects to your point earlier is this hiring process is way different in so many ways but in one way that I think it's wildly different is you know owners are not necessarily football experts the variability is crazy and so you know these guys mostly guys seem to uh misread people you know um I I was just giving props to Sheila Fordham because I think in 2020, when she took over, she's the reason that if you're a Detroit Lions fan, you're like, we are not the same old Lions. Mm-hmm. We have different leadership. We have different uh, different GM. We have a different coach. We have a different culture. We have a culture strong enough that Ben Johnson wants to forego better opportunities, and he wants to stay here. You know, that's what you're trying to build. So what do you think the biggest challenge is in, in, like, reading these billionaire dudes?
1: So, um. I love that you brought her up because there has been some good coverage on the process that she put together, the type of people she wanted to bring in, the fact that she wanted, you know, former player perspectives and that she knew the type of person and culture that she felt would be a fit. Um, because I do think part of people's success or failure is about shared expectation. And so, like, not every franchise is a fit for every person who could be successful in one place, but maybe not in another. Um, and so, and some of that is role clarity, too, because you see conflict when, you know, there's two people who think that they should be calling the shot on on whether it's, you know, final say on the roster, whatever you want it to be. There needs to be real clarity about, like, who calls what shots, you know, whose lane is what. Um, and like, what is it that, that we are, right? If, if you own the franchise, all culture is truly set from the top. Um, and so that's gotta be really clear and you've got to find the the person who's the right fit. And I think you've given an example of a team that did that really beautifully.
0: Give me an example of who's in the room for these actual interviews. Once they get, you know, once you cross that zoom threshold and you're doing it in person, who's in the room What's the the tone like? What's the what's the vibe like? How much does it vary, and uh, and how intimidating can it be?
1: Well, a it varies a lot. Um, I think one of the interesting trends you're seeing in the last couple of years is people involving a lot more folks at the table, and I think that that's a good thing because you've made the argument that you know one person who, who didn't do this particular job before, right? Hiring for it is maybe not the, the best process. And certainly if you look at it from a DEI perspective, historically did not, you know, yield the best results from a DEI perspective. Um, and so I think what you saw when the Vikings hired Kweisi, um, what, what you saw with some other folks processes is that they decided to take a much bigger swath of the building um, to involve some people from the business side to involve potentially some outside voices or some player voices like you've talked about and just have a more inclusive process. Um, and that can yield, you know, not only more inclusive results, but really successful results.
0: And, and rewinding, you know, just so people understand, like, and this is my understanding and just doing a little bit of research, but help me out here is there are time limits on how much you can prepare for these interviews while you're a member of a certain team in the playoffs like right you know the expectation is you should be preparing within a window but a lot of this preparation as you alluded to metaphorically speaking you've been preparing your whole life but but there is real intentional prep in the offseason leading up for guys that that are expecting to maybe be in these cycles
1: yeah and I mean I would argue that you should, right, if you're in that situation where you're expecting that I could be hired into a GM role or head coach role in the next year or two or three even, you should be doing a ton of preparation in the office. Like, to me, it's like, if you have studied for the test, like the test shouldn't be hard. Right. So, like, and I'll give you an example because I come from originally a legal background. The bar is like a three-day intense test. And you do like a month and a half prep class after three years of law school. It's like by the time you get to the test, like you should just nail that thing. Like you shouldn't still be thinking about it the day before the test. Like you should just get a good night's sleep and show up. Like
0: yeah, it only took me one time. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) there you go. Uh, (laughs) So it's really the same thing. Like the prep work should be done so far in advance. And yes, for a specific team, right, just like any, you know, any regular Joe going to interview with an employer, like, yeah, obviously you want to research the employer, but we're in a situation where there's actually only 32 employers right? and you've probably been working in the league for 10, 15 years. Yes. So like you have more than enough time over those years to really gather a lot of great information about who you might be interviewing with
0: how does somebody in that situation decide whether or not they're worthy of studying, um, and doing the extra work and seeking counsel? You know what I mean? Like, how do you actually say, because that's a weird conversation. Like I'm like, hey, I think I'm a good coach, but am I, am I at that point yet? You know, like for some of the people on the fence and then for guys that have tremendous years, like, I don't know if a Dave yeah. Canales was on the radar for people a year ago.
1: Yeah, I guess if you believe in yourself, I feel like you want to be ready when you are hot to the point that you just made, right? Because there are guys who suddenly become like a hot name in the media out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And you could be like not a hot name a couple years later and to no fault of your own. You're not a different person. You're not a different coach, but like you and I have both seen that with plenty of guys where like Mm -hmm. they were like circulated in, you know, like, Oh, this is the guy, this is the hot guy. And they don't get a job for a cycle or two. And all of a sudden they're like dead. It's like, they, Mm -hmm. they're never mentioned again.
0: Who's somebody you can think of in that vein that, that was, their name was hot for a little bit. I So So Greg
1: Roman, who I love, who I work with, the 49ers, people were like all over, oh, he's going to be a head coach. He's going to be a head coach. And, you know, like things just shifted and it's the situation you're in, you know, maybe you're somewhere and things don't go as well the next year. And all of a sudden, like, that's just not on people's sort of lists anymore. And it gets also to the issue within this, like, whole hiring process of the role people like what you are now play the media the media has arguably a, a big influence on the whole process because so much of what the people who are doing hiring are hearing is folks like you saying who's hot yes so it gets into who gets to decide who's hot and and what is their background and knowledge right like you've been saying hey what do these people know about football now you obviously played the game you know a lot about football, but there's
0: but
3: still, there's plenty of
1: people I bet you, you think in your field who maybe <laughs> don't know. Yeah,
0: but still, I mean, even me, when I make a determination on a coach, I can go off of the scheme. I can go off some hearsay about who they are. I can text the guy and say, what the, what's that guy like? But as you know, the variability on, you know, who a guy is to the players in the building, it could depend on what part of the locker room you're in. It could depend on what player you're talking to. Um, there's so much, as you know, more than me there's so much going on in an NFL facility that the media is not even scratching the surface on. And we have the wrong narratives and there are things going on internally between players and positions that are the frictions crazy, but you're not seeing it. Or, or, you know, maybe you think some guy's the bad guy and it's actually another coach that's screwing the whole thing up. So we don't know. And so I'm, I try to be careful about quote unquote, endorsing guys, you know what Mm. I mean? Because, um, I wanted the same thing and I think I know the answer and I would imagine it's agents, but like who are ultimately the people that set those wheels in motion, those big wheels that, that dictate
1: the media the wheels. Yeah. I do think agents have a role to play there. Um, I think direct relationships though with coaches and with, yeah. you know, scouts is also a big part of it. And so I think, you know, one of the challenges that people face is how to manage those relationships. Right. Um, so I, I do think that that's a part of it. And to the point you just made, I think one of the interesting things about, you know, det- like who can determine who's hot is in the GM cycle where like coaches, like if a guy's been a coordinator, at least you have something that you could have watched on TV and made a judgment yes. about. I, you don't know what this guy's scouting, like what were his scouting reports for the last five years? Can I go re- like you don't, you have no idea really. Like if you're an outsider, of like what role that person played all you know is if they were at a team that was winning or not or what their title is um so i think that there's and yet somehow the media does you know make these determinations like oh this you know this guy's coming up in this cycle this guy's you know a hot name
0: is it rare uh to have an outlier coach who's not thought of as one of these you know within this pool of of exceptional names with exceptional resumes that everybody's kind of agreed on w- the way I look at it. Owners are generally their council generally agrees with them for the most part in their, in their personal circles. That's what happens. My opinion is when you have a lot of money and a lot of power, most people agree with you, you know, and if you, if you can get well, somebody as a
1: person your- who has done a lot of disagreeing with people, I mean, I think if you have a good circle, you have people who disagree with you, right? So, like, so I agree good that if, if you, it's a very dangerous place to be, and certainly anyone with a lot of either fame or power or money is always going to be at risk of being surrounded by yes men. That's inevitably going to be a risk, and hopefully you, you know, make sure that you have people around you who will tell you that the emperor has no clothes.
0: Yeah, exactly. My, my question would be then, you know, if, if somebody exists outside this pool like how often does somebody elevate to getting an opportunity where he's the that name is only on the docket for one team and they're on to somebody right they've identified a really good outlier type coach because for the most part i feel like they all pick from the same the same pool that they've decided upon together whether they know it or not because of media influence and because of just whoever the hot names are the suggestive nature of it how many times do we get an outlier
1: Yeah, and it it also it that gets into an interesting question of like what what is truly an outlier because the one of the things that's so unique about these hires is that there's a small pool, right? Like most jobs you could hire for, you know, at any company, there are probably thousands of people in, you know, the United States, the world who could, you know, be qualified, apply, have the experience. Whereas like you kind of, you have a very small pool
2: yeah. of
1: everyone who coaches in college and everybody who coaches in the NFL, yeah. um, that you could go with. And so it raises actually an interesting question of, you know, how do you, if you, if you want to be the person who finds the outlier track over time, everyone in these roles, cause it's certainly possible. It's a, it's again, it's, you know, a limited, um, group of people, um, but yeah, I think you raise an interesting question there, and what it makes me think of next is I do think one of the the areas where the league has been helpful um, is in having an accelerator program so that pe- more people are getting exposure um, specifically to the folks who would hire them, right, to owners, um, and putting out a comprehensive list every year of. Hey, all you know, all of these people um are folks that you ought to look at. And it's a long list.
0: Stock market concept with these with these guys. As you alluded to earlier, your name could be hot one minute, and then two years later, maybe not so much. So there is the hey, you know, get it while the getting's good and all that. But I look at a guy like Jeff Albrick. Um, usually that stock market seems Dictated by the team's success. You know what I mean? And I I don't know, Jeff. This isn't me pumping his tires or anything. Like, you know, half the time, I don't want to be one of those media members, but I just picked his name. Mm -hmm. There aren't a lot of guys who get credit for what their units have done, especially within the context of the struggles that they might have incurred, you know, trying to do their jobs because Mm -hmm. of the other side of the ball or the team's lack of success. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just the answer's as easy as people aren't hiring coaches from bad teams, or do you think that that's I an do. area that people should look at? I
1: do. I think that that is a struggle that so many people, you know, in the NFL faces. If you're on a bad team, people like kind of feel like you're a loser. Mm-hmm. And if you're on a good team, people feel like you're a winner. And, you know, and most people, they work in the NFL long enough, you're going to be on winning teams and you're going to be on losing teams and you're still you, but like you can't.
0: I know what you mean. It's just, yeah. I, I
1: mean, you, you, have James that, Hall, right? James
0: Hall know what you mean. <laughs> they thought we were losers. <laughs> Poor James went from Detroit to St. Louis. So yeah,
1: it's,
0: it's a perfect example, though. I mean, yeah, you know, like I think for players, it can be the same way. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. we're gonna get more jobs because there's more job openings, and you know, you can leave your bad team in free agency and you can differentiate, but. I feel bad for some of these coordinators and coaches who mm-hmm. are just stuck in, in tough spots. When it comes to the pre-consultation you know, consultation process for you, or whatever you wanna call it, like you're getting to know the coach and trying to figure out where the blind spots are maybe, or laying out what an owner or that group is gonna to wanna to hear, what do you think are the most surprising things that, because it's been described to me like the modern day NFL coach is a CEO, more than just a ball coach. What are those energy, things that, that, yeah,
1: that I think both of them?
0: Yeah. What are, you, what are, you, what are those things that might surprise people that, that, that make up that list of skills or responsibilities?
1: Sure. I mean, to me, and again, because my focus is solely on that aspect, right? Like, I'm, I'm not here to tell anybody about football. Like, that's what, that's what your expertise is. Um, that's not my job. Is. So, in thinking about what are those other areas, I think a lot of it is managing people. Um, so again, like depending on the background that you've come from, um, and I'll use a GM example, right? If you have come up as, um, especially if you come up from a road scouting perspective, you may not have even been in the building, right? Like you, you have literally been like totally out on your own and you're coming back in for meetings. And so you may, and this isn't a knock on people. It's just that you may not have had the experience until much later in your career, if you've risen to, like, a director of college scouting or something like that, of even managing other people and even managing office dynamics and politics. And, like, that's not – politics isn't, like, a bad word. Like, everywhere that has human beings has politics, right? Every NFL team, just like every other workplace, has politics, and your ability – to lead and manage people, lead and manage departments. I think, you know, for an average fan, they might only think about that job as picking players when it's in fact like you're probably overseeing the medical team, athletic training, uh, the fields, you're, and people, you know, underestimate like, groundskeeping is like actually like a big thing, like travel logistics, player engagement, like there's all these other departments that you're responsible for leading But again, until very late in your career, maybe never before you get that job, you have any experience running. Um, And then I also think, and this part is probably more obvious, but dealing with the media is now a really big part of these jobs. And so I think people's skill level with that is important, especially on the head coach side, probably even more than the GM side. That's a huge part. And, and it's not that you're going to pick somebody to be your head coach because they're good at the media. If they're a loser, right? Like you got you to win. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's a lot easier on your franchise if the guy wins and he's good with the media.
0: Right. No question. Speaking of people that, uh, that don't seem to like the media, my old ball coach, Bill Belichick, uh, if I was Bill Belichick, what do you think the biggest challenges are for me in this process? Or another way of asking, what has changed since Bill last interviewed for a head coaching job? What were interviews like in 2000 or
1: 1999? Uh, well, I was graduating from high school, so I'm not 100% sure. I'm sure, we some, have told you.
0: <laughs> I'm sure some of the old have told you. I'm sure some of the, you know, because uh, didn't you get to work with Al Davis?
1: I did. While he was still
0: around? and, and Yeah like what did, what do people say about how how much less exhaustive or more exhaustive it was or what was that process like when did these things get guardrails you know like the process mm. you know i'm i'm sure there was a wild west period where it was like a lot easier to just pick up the phone and call a coach week 7 and be like hey you know <laughs> on your dial up and be like hey what do you think you want to work for us next year
1: um yeah i mean i think that there are probably some people who would question whether or not you know that potentially still happens based on on outcomes but um yeah a lot has changed i will say i have loved every bill belichick press conference i've ever watched Me um too. for the record i actually think he's, i actually think he's great and super entertaining and so I, you know and i and i love a marshawn lynch press conference so i'm not Me saying too. you have to like be you know super sweet softy all the time with the media um and this is the other piece I think some of this is like more important in the hard times right like if you're winning you can be a jerk right and Mm -hmm. get away with it and you know when you're nine and eight or whatever you know like then it starts being like oh I don't know like I don't know but so some of this is also like how do you put yourself in the best position um for your own longevity so that you're so that you are in a good space that you get the benefit of the doubt, right? That you have right. enough time to accomplish what you are capable of accomplishing. Um, and yes, I think a lot has changed probably since the last time that he interviewed. Um, for one thing, there were no Zoom interviews because because <laughs> there was no Zoom. Um,
0: like shoot, three years ago, four years ago. Well.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a lot. A lot has changed. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think you asked what would be the biggest impediment. Um, and honestly, I think the biggest impediment is probably that we do still live in a world where, where you know, ageism is a real thing. And so I, I honestly mm-hmm. think that would probably be the hardest, you know, the hardest piece. And that he has such a rich history at one club that if you're another club, I think it's like hard to sort of be like, okay, what's our vision and our future? Because everyone associates Bill with the Patriots.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, no question. And then it's way too easy to look and say, well, you know, his winning percentage when he was with this team, I'm like, well, th- that sample size is so small. You know, it's it's hard to draw any sort of conclusion yeah. other than the, the guy is one of the absolute greatest football minds to ever walk the earth. And uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's complicated for somebody like that. You talked, you touched on ageism. Uh, let's talk about, everybody's favorite topic which is um equity in hiring and you know some people don't want to hear about it but it's it's still an issue and uh i you know i've done podcasts where i've grappled with the shortcomings of the Rooney rule and you know like i just wonder i know we're not there yet what's it going to take and what are some of the positives of some of the changes they've made in the last couple of years and, and where could they Where could they improve?
1: Yeah, I do think the biggest change that's happened in the last couple of years, and it is starting to yield results, and obviously we'll have to wait and see a few more years to get more data, is the accelerator program. Because I think a lot of us in the league who've been around a long time had been feeling like what people need is exposure. Because it's not a pipeline issue, right? It's not that there are not good coaches or GMs out there, potential GMs out there it's that, you know, you've got to, you've, everyone, and this is not specific to the NFL, right? This is how all human beings behave and how our brains are hardwired unless we are consciously overtaking it. We all are naturally drawn to people who are like us. We are all drawn to hire people who we feel comfortable around. Where we're like, oh, you know, I can talk to that person. I can have a beer with that person. I, you know, I feel... You know it's a fit, right? All these, you know, code words, et cetera. And it, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with the fact that all human beings have implicit bias, but it's our responsibility to then figure out how to overcome that. Yeah. And I do think that one of the biggest things is exposure, right? It's meeting it is like, oh yeah, I remember so and so that I met at that program. Like I like or you just they getting that opportunity to just kind of hang out's not the right word, but like network and just have small talk and it allows people to get more comfortable so that the next time you are in a hiring cycle, you're like, yeah, I know this person. I like this person. Hopefully you know that interview, you know, you can, it's even smoother. Right. So I do think that the exposure piece is important. I think the Rooney rule has been important historically, you know, at the 49ers, the 49ers were the first team um, to expand that to the whole business side, to have diverse late interviewing, of candidates, and then to also flip that and have it on the other side of the table for the interviewers, that there needs to be people on the interviewer panel who are people of color and women. And I think we're chatting earlier about who's in the room. And I do think that we're starting to see that trend of having more people in the room. And I think having a diverse slate in the room in the decision making process is is going to be hopefully a big part of improving those outcomes.
0: I was watching the Antonio Pierce process and, you know, from the beginning I'm biased. I know Antonio a little bit, but I also just, I love it when a player gets an opportunity. Um, and you can see what a differentiating factor that player can be. White or black, Dan Campbell, Antonio Pierce, Vrabel, Vrabel. I mean, it means something, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I thought it was awesome that, you had this interim head coach who was in a situation where, I'll just say this, I don't know if he gets the job if they didn't mess up the Rich Basaccia thing, right or wrong. Um, I think he should get the job, but I think that helped. It was like the perfect storm. But then they're like, well, we still got to interview we still got to, you know, like we got to go through the process. Was that kind of unique? Like where you're like, hey, we've got a coach who I think is the guy. And did the Rooney rule apply? Some people were asking me to, they still have to go out and interview and fulfill the the guidelines of the Rooney rule, even if the the interim head coach is minority. So
1: two things come to mind here. One, I I think, and this is me sort of speaking personally, I think it's actually really important to follow process no matter who the candidate is. Because I've had even like in my, Um, in, in hiring processes, not involving these folks, but involving folks on the business side where people will say, Oh, I have somebody and she's already a woman or like, I have somebody, they're already a person of color. And it's like, it's not about, Hey, I found somebody who's a person of color. And so I'm going to skip the whole process. Like following process is about how you can only get the right results over time. If you always follow the process. Right. You know, like, it, it gets the whole, like, if you want championship culture, like, Bill Walsh would always say, right? Like, you have to, you know, do everything like a champion. And so, like, yeah. when you come to a hiring process, you're not going to skip over it just because you're like, oh, well, I think we got the end result that we wanted. Yeah. No. Like, we're going to follow it every time because that's the only way to ensure that over time you get the right person. Like,
2: yeah. every
1: time and that you have the right DEI results. Um, so... I do think it's important, even when you think you have the person and even if they're a person of color, to interview multiple people. Like you don't yeah. know what you're gonna learn from that process until you go through it.
0: Well, yeah, uh, and like as a side note, the the guys who are getting valuable opportunities to interview, you know, who are, are people of color um and who are, you know, oftentimes former players or whoever, I like I think the Raiders going through that, I can still see the value in it. But for people at home, you know, I got some questions like, do they still have to go through that? I'm like, well, I really don't know the answer. (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm not sure, but it seems like uh, that's the right thing to do for multiple reasons. Um,
1: Yeah. And I do love the, the trend of more former players as head coaches in the NFL Um, or in really any executive position or any position on the business side or the football side in the NFL. And I think that's something that 20 years ago I wondered, like, why aren't there more former players? And like you said, I don't think it matters what ethnicity they are, but also if we're seeing more former players – based on the demographics of the NFL that should ultimately yield better results. Mm-hmm. And it, and in the NBA, you see a ton of former players who are head coaches. Right. Yeah. And I think, yes, there are differences between the NBA and the NFL. Um, but, and in kind of what the process of becoming a head coach, um, but I love that. Like, and I think one that you didn't mention, but you probably, met, that you, I know you mentioned before, Jim Harbaugh, you know, yeah. like, these, they're great great track record you know we were, we were yeah. just talking about okay what are some commonalities among some great coaches obviously not every great coach was a player but former players have a pretty good track record
0: peterson.
1: being head coaches
0: doug peterson because we just yes. went through it the other way the the we just went through it the other day where somebody somebody on the show was like hey you know and don't forget this uh jim harbaugh was was a high performing nfl quarterback yeah, And, you know, it seems so obvious to people. There are very few, I went back and looked, former quarterbacks in modern football that played at a high level in the NFL um, and were head coaches. And I think, yeah, it's kind of a cheat code if the guy's got it all because he's totally. literally been the most important player on the field. Um, the other question I have as it relates to being an offensive coach, being a defensive coach, I know it's not a pipeline issue because there are great coaches, as you, as you talked about, but there does seem to be, I don't know how to phrase it, but there seems to be a design flaw or an intentional design flaw where it's like, well, we're not hiring as many defensive coaches these days, you know, um, it would seem that a lot of black coaches get funneled into, when you talk to some younger black coaches, like, hey, I don't get the, the opportunities to be in. The, they guard the QB room, you know, mm-hmm. the offensive line room. How many black offensive line coaches are there in the league? How many black quarterback coaches are there in the, in the league? Um, it's just certain position groups get hired to be coordinators more often mm-hmm. than others. And if if the machine is feeding you know one you know is 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 feeding you know the offensive coaches that's going to be a problem over time
1: agreed um and actually this brings up another name we were just talking about like names that are hot and then weren't and you know former qb to your point byron Leftwich, right like there's yeah. somebody who like the name was hot but i'm like i didn't what hear happened? that name in the last like two years right yeah, yeah it's like so i
0: don't even know where he is
1: I was literally. I was like, "God, do I know nothing about football?" Suddenly, because I'm like, "Wait, don't where worry is about
0: that it? Because right this now. Is supposed to be my <laughs> job. And I don't know where Byron left which is." And two if years you're out ago, there, Byron,
1: tell us where you are.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we can be like, hire this guy. I mean,
1: yeah, but there there is no question. The trend is towards offensive side of the ball, QB coaches, and I do think the a positive there is like the league has caught on to this issue. And is focusing on how do we get more people into quarterback coaches roles so that that pipelines into offensive coordinators, because we know that pipelines into head coaching roles.
0: How do people feel about the comp pick deal when it comes to the Rooney rule? Is that like kind of a...
1: It's so controversial. It is.
0: It is a little bit. I mean, and and I want what's best for whoever wants to get the job. So it's not really for right. me to say whether or not it's a good thing or it's... It, you know, or if it objectifies you, you know, kind of in a sense professionally where, you know, you're, you're worth something in a, in a, in a non-personal sense. It's like, well, let me get this guy elevated because we're going to get something out of it. Like what have you seen when it comes to those trends?
1: So what I would say is it, I don't have a final opinion on this one. I think it'll be interesting over time to see like did this move the needle, or does it? Is it, and I am wary to use the word distraction because I think it's used in our industry like for so many things that aren't like appropriate, but like is it causing more discussion than progress? Um, and I and I don't know where that'll ultimately come out. Um, I, I understand and think it is intriguing that you're incentivizing people to elevate folks, which I think is a good thing, because what you're trying to counterbalance that I think has really probably not talked about enough and is really problematic is that the anti-tampering policy is used so much to block talent from growing. And so if you step back and you're in the position of wanting the whole league to be the best that it can and not just the most diverse and inclusive that it can, but literally just the best, you want the best talent to yeah. rise to these positions, then we should be creating as free a market as we can. Right. But that is always like, up. Oh, actually no, because if you really to a temporary policy, like you are able to really prevent talent from going up and out a lot of the time. And and there have thankfully been rule changes in the last few years that have helped tweak this at the top, meaning that you now, you can't block somebody from becoming a number two, and you now have to designate who that number two is, and that's progress, and I love that. But what it doesn't fix is that in those whole early years of your career that could be very formative and important for your growth, you have no, like, somebody can just lock you up, and unless you choose to bet on yourself and decide that you're gonna let your contract expire, you don't wanna keep signing extensions, then you really don't – somebody can just say, hey, they can't interview you. And you might not even know that. You don't even know that somebody put in a request for you.
0: That's the wild part to me. Like, that to me is crazy. I mean, it's all crazy anyways because I know you can't name names, but I know there are coaches in the NFL at different times that have had reputations for kind of hoarding their guys and, and blocking – Um progress for those assistant coaches but on top of it to not know that to not know your worth in effect you're playing with with your hands tied behind your back yeah it's nuts you know what else I thought was nuts Hannah was um when when Vrabel was asked well I don't know how that went down but if I had to guess if they were like hey could we trade you and he was like, "Yeah, fuck off," or whatever he would have said. <laughs> uh, I like. I did not know they had no trade clauses. <laughs> These coaches, you can't trade a head coach without their permission.
1: So again, because coaches and and. Everyone other than players is not subject to a collective bargaining agreement, right? They're not in a union. Everyone's right. individually negotiating, so it doesn't mean that everyone has that, right? But yeah. it means that he negotiated. He negotiated that as properly. An individual, um, yeah. and and so yeah. I mean, and the irony is, you know, most workers in America, your your employer cannot trade you <laughs> somewhere else, right? Um, and. I get why from a player perspective, you'd be like, hey, what the heck? I don't have a no trade clause. But like, that's the trade-off of having a union, right? That's the trade-offs of collective bargaining is you have decided, even if you didn't personally decide, you decided collectively with your, you know, 1,200 person brethren as a union, like, like all right, whoever like, voted. get this, we're gonna, you know, agree, yes, yeah. there can be trades of a player's contract. Yeah. Um, and I always, I, I think that like language that we use is important. And I, cause I just hate the word, like a person got traded because it's a contract got traded, not a person. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you know, no one can own you. Um, but mm-hmm. like you can sign a contract that says like somebody else could be assigned to this contract.
3: Yeah.
0: That's so interesting. And just the last thing with, with, with Ben and Slowick, Ben Johnson today saying, Hey, I'm staying put Slowick stand put like, I've always wondered why more coordinators don't look at things, you know, to say, and it's easy for me to say, cause I'm not trying to map out my family's future and these opportunities are great, but I've always been somebody that's like play the long game. And if you have the, if you have the, the, you know, the, the safety net to do that as a coach, or you have a situation that you feel good about, it's a lot easier to not jump at that, that, that job, like Ben Johnson, that Carolina job, sounded like it looked scary to him last year and i would be afraid as well this is just me talking to work for david tepper that's just me talking but um today him saying hey i don't want to go to washington i don't want to go to seattle i want to stay right where i am and bobby slow at getting a raise okay like that that one to me i'm i'm surprised we don't see that more often because these owners have big pocketbooks if mm-hmm. i had a dynamic play caller in my building I would be throwing the kitchen sink at that play caller because there's no cap for hiring coaches, is there? Correct. Like, are we going to see that more in the future? where, Or does it go on more than we know where people are like, hey, we don't want to let this guy leave. He's going to be paid like a head coach or sort of like a head coach without ruffling the feathers of the head man who's who's still wants the biggest contract.
1: What I would say is, yeah, people are going to pay for somebody they want to keep. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, yes, people are going to get paid more if they think you're, you could go somewhere else. But also like, I think all of those decisions like you were saying, like, oh, like, I'm surprised you you don't see more people kind of decide to stay put. The conversation we're just having, we're like, you don't know if your name's going to be hot again in a year. It's a very personal decision about where you are, how much you like it, what you think the chances are that the team's going to continue to get better. Um, what you think your future opportunities are and what you think of the current opportunities available to you, you know, like you may feel like the ones that are open don't feel like the right fit to you for whatever reason. And that's not necessarily a knock on them, but like, that's just not what interests you. And so mm. you may want to be clear publicly that you've decided to stay put right. because you don't want people thinking you just didn't get any of those open
0: Right. It's a safe face thing. Like I broke up with them. You know,
1: right, and that's not a bad like I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all mm-hmm. it's it's just that like we're like if you do get passed over in multiple cycles, that can unfortunately influence the media and public perception, so it makes sense to be clear when you've decided not to be in the running.
0: Well, this is how my brain thinks, you know, like Ben, who I'm a big fan of, doesn't get the job, suppose or or doesn't decide to leave. He, you know, people are talking about, he's asking for all this money. It could be a number of things. He could have scared people off with, with the, with the contract talks. He could have not gotten the the job. Maybe his name's not as hot as people thought, or maybe it is as simple as he knows. And he's made that, that determination along the lines of what we talked about, which, what drives that stock market? It's the success of your team. Right. And he's saying, I don't want to put words in his mouth or thoughts in his head, but he's saying, we're going to still be good. Like what's going to change if I'm still in the building, if Jared's still here, if Dan's still here, we could be right back here next year. And maybe a job I would like more would be open and juxtaposed to Canalis, who, you know, like, again, I'm just reading the tea leaves, a coach like him who a year ago wasn't on the radar. You got to jump at the opportunity. It may not be perfect, but you got to jump at it. And that's the, you know, there's, a couple ways this could go for coaches you know it's there's no right answer right it's, it sounds like there's no chart that you look at and you're like if if this happens i do this you gotta
1: mm-hmm.
0: you gotta make judgment calls which is interesting
1: and it's okay for people to love what they do like it's okay even if somebody said you know what i actually have no interest in being a head coach yeah. i actually love being a coordinator and like this is what i want to do like that's okay too
0: is that not like the most sane thing somebody could say? I know you're in the business of prepping people to become head coaches, but I think it's crazy. I think it's crazy to want to be a head coach. Like when I've seen the stress that they live under their, their, their schedules, like Steve Spagnuolo, who I'm a huge fan of was my head coach in St. Louis, me and James, and obviously didn't work out as a head coach, but singing his praises every week because he's one of the best coordinators we've seen in modern football. And you just wonder the guy that was sleeping on his sofa and wouldn't see his wife Maria for like days on end. Maybe he likes being around his family. You know, mm-hmm. maybe he likes being the coordinator. Maybe he likes not worrying about how many timeouts he has. Maybe he likes worrying about not, not worrying about training camp schedule or which buses we're taking here. All the things that we, it's perfectly sane to say, Hey, I like being a ball coach. Hannah, I really appreciate the time. This is so interesting to me. Um, can't wait to get you back on. To expand the conversation, because I think it could go on and on. but, uh, But thank you. Thank you very much for letting us in on what goes on.
1: My pleasure, Chris.
0: Make Little Caesars the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. Order online during the Pizza Pizza pregame, all day on NFL Game Days and Pro Bowl Sunday, and get ready for some football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. Put some in the fridge. I like cold pizza. Hey, I just want to say this one thing before I get in the mailbag. I forgot to say it in the open. Patrick Mahomes has given me something as a media member that I don't get often. You want to guess what that is, guys?
3: He did he retweeted Greenlight, is that it? Did he? Yeah.
0: What did he retweet?
3: Yeah, Bush. We don't get that often.
0: Oh, that's dope. Supposedly Kyle actually tagged him in the video of me freaking out when he threw that ball to MVS, and he like loved the video. So, so, you know, Mahomes, you're the man, but, but here's the deal. He gives me an opportunity to be a fan. I I can't tell you how different that is from my everyday experience playing in the league for 11 years. You get desensitized to the, the fan aspect of it. Your loyalty. A lot of people, Fans sometimes don't understand they're more loyal to organizations than I am, you know, cause they haven't dealt with the business side. They haven't seen their friends cut, you know, changing teams. Like when you're a football player, if you're lucky enough to be somewhere for a long time, you do have an allegiance to that fan base, to that city, to that team, but it's more of a business. You are an independent contractor and I have a great amount of passion for my, you know, some of the places I played and. You know, all of them on different levels. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm going to blindly follow the organization at every turn. doesn't mean I'm going pump to the, pump their tires every chance I get. This doesn't mean that, that I can be a, a fan like a lot of you guys. Um, I think for me to be a fan, it takes, it takes something special. And going inside the NFL today, I could not get the smile off my face. Not because I won to bet this weekend or because I got to do a victory lap on the Chiefs. But because I got to watch and listen to a mic'd up Patrick Mahomes, watch him run down the the field screaming, hear him screaming after that MBS reception, you know, all the work that he's put in since last year through all the ups and the downs, it all came out in that moment. And, you know, if you see a still photo of Patrick Mahomes, with his neck in the air, with that kind of, you know, he's he's built like a damn caddy on a golf course, but he's flexing. And it's the most terrifying thing in the world because that guy's a cold-blooded killer. I got to watch and listen to everything he said on the field, and I could not wipe the smile off my face because it is very rare as sports fans that we, we get to witness greatness like this. Do you know how rare it is To see a team that played in the Super Bowl last year, that won the Super Bowl last year, get back to the Super Bowl the very next year. I don't think people understand the challenges. And when you look at the teams that have done it over the past 20, 25 years, very few of them, actually none, have weathered the storms that the Chiefs have this year. Go look at the teams that got back the next year after they won it, go look at their records. 13-3 13-3 and three is not without challenges. A lot of those challenges are under the surface. You know, if you're on those teams, you know every day is a challenge. But for the Chiefs to go on these, these these stretches of mediocrity this year, to lose to the Raiders who didn't throw a pass for three quarters, like these are new lows. Playing at Arrowhead this year was a nightmare for them. When have you ever heard of something like that? for them to overcome all this and be back where they are to see Patrick Mahomes on this stage, I can't help it. I'm a fan and I love getting to be a fan. It brings out a different side of me. I mean, like most times I'm watching a game, I've picked a side, I'm gambling. I've picked a side because I've, 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 I've broken the game down and I've told you what I think is going to happen. I want to be right. There are very few instances that I can just sit back and be a fan. And I think it's awesome. And this is a a unique path that they've taken this year. And I think everybody should just take a minute, whether you hate Patrick Mahomes or you're tired of the Chiefs because of the new Patriots. And you can point to any dynasty that has ever happened in pro sports. There was a moment where everybody was like, yeah, fuck these guys. You know, before the Patriots were hated, they were the team that beat the greatest show on turf. And we were all united in watching them do that, right? At that point, I do not have any St. Louis allegiances. I was a kid who had a snow day the next day and, and played, you know, like uh, snuck out of the house at night. There was, you know, like went out and smoked cigars after the game. Like I was a kid. I didn't have, I didn't have any allegiances. I was just a kid and I was rooting for the Patriots to beat the Rams three, four years later, you're rooting for the Eagles to beat the Patriots, you know? And, and when I got in the league, there was a moment with the Patriots where I was able to be a fan because every year, January 1st, January 3rd, January 4th, my season was over and I enjoyed watching the playoffs. I wasn't one of these people, you know, certainly it hurt my feelings at times to see Seattle in the dance, see teams that we competed with getting their day. But I very rarely during the playoffs could not watch and enjoy and appreciate. Something's changed for me in the media. Um, the Patriots were the same way for me in the middle of their run. You know, uh, they weren't an, a division rival. They weren't a team that, that was in the way because we weren't going anywhere. I just sat back, and I can remember watching their Super Bowls and marveling at it and pulling for them when they played the Giants because I really do like to see greatness in real time because I understand that, you know, next time you see Patrick Mahomes, who knows when that's going to be. And you said the same thing with Brady and then Patrick Mahomes comes along. Who's to say there'll be a third? Um, I think it's really cool to watch Patrick go on this journey. So I know some of you are puking all over your smartphones. Uh, you know, you're out for a run and you're just projectile vomiting because I'm complimenting Patrick Mahomes. But I don't hate the Chiefs. I just can't. I, I I know how hard it is and I appreciate what they've been able to accomplish. So... Listen, a little bit of mailbag for you guys. I'm just going to go through a couple rapid fire. Last week, people really liked the fan thing where I got to, where I talked to some of the fan bases and dressed them, them directly and told you what I thought about you and you know which teams that I would actually consider playing for. The 49ers, let's do the 49ers this week because they're playing in the Super Bowl and they were division rival. And like when I tell you, some of the moments I was most alive was at Candlestick Park, dude. In my, it, just telling you, doing hard things on a big stage, there's nothing like it. And there's nothing harder than playing an offensive line like they had with Greg Roman and Alex Boone and, and Mike Iupati and Joe Staley and, and, um, and even the right tackle, who I hated. Um, and we got into it every game. Anthony Davis. How could I forget? You know, bro. There was a level of appreciation for the battles we all had in the NFC West, whether it was was Seattle or San Francisco. I loved playing on the road in those cities, trying to meet that challenge, trying to meet the physicality of those teams. Frank Gore. Frank Gore, my dad, this week, saw Bob Weir, obviously, on the sideline. I posted that on Instagram. I was very proud that Bob Weir knew who I was. Um, maybe my dad made that up, but I know for a fact that the second story he told me of which I'm very proud is true. Frank Gore, who's one of my favorite players that I ever played against came up to my dad and said, your son was a motherfucker. I tried to, I tried to cut him and he gave me a concussion. He was a motherfucker, man. Like they just just don't talk about him enough. And I know Frank said that because he came up to me with his son at the Super Bowl right in front of him. It was like, dude, you gave me a fucking concussion. I never got to tell you that. Um, Frank Gore is one of my favorite players. Uh, Anquan Bolden was an absolute nightmare. I loved playing against the Niners because of the challenge. You had to. And it also, when we played the Niners, I looked around and I knew who was made of something. You know, it was an easy way to weed out the people who weren't down for a fist fight on your team, because that team was going to bring it to you. And at the old games at candlestick, and I don't know, maybe today, if I played at Levi's, although it's a gentrified version of candlestick, I used to send my mom and my, my then girlfriend, um, Meg to the game and tell them you can't wear any Rams gear. And I'm sending you with an off duty cop because not to say that san francisco fans are bad people but they they will throw down and they do not like fans from other teams being at the stadium much like the link much like some other places i just felt better with somebody who could handle themselves uh in the stands with with my wife and and my mom um but i love that field candlestick the locker room was the closest distance to the parking lot of any locker room that i ever played in is one of those old stadiums it looks like it's about to fall down the infrastructure in these stadiums not great juxtaposed to going to jerry's world where you got to ride a bus for three minutes underground to get to where they drop you off to get in the locker room like it's too much for me you pull up the candlestick there's fans in the in the back lot tailgating You get off the bus. They're close enough to talk to you. You walk in the double doors, and three feet to the right is the locker room. It's just a really unique experience, and it's part of the reason why I love those old stadiums. Long story short, what I wanted to talk about with the Niners is a couple things. First, Vernon Davis is going to be in a movie here soon uh, with Morgan Freeman. So I just wanted to point that out, Vernon Davis – part of the reason my neck's so fucking sore right now is Vernon Davis and a six technique for a few years. Um, but Vernon is a successful actor. He's going to be in a movie with Morgan Freeman. And I think that's pretty cool. Now, my big story about going to play the Niners, by the way, Vernon's playing a serial killer in that movie. And that checks out, um, is the time I went to play the Niners. Um, and we stayed at a hotel called the St. Francis hotel. Okay. And I don't know if you guys believe in ghosts at home or you guys on the podcast believe in ghosts, but I believe in ghosts. I think it's a real thing. This St. Francis Hotel gave me the the heebie-jeebies the minute we checked in. I was like, this fucking place is haunted. I have like a radar for that type of thing. I just always have. When I was a little kid, I had an imaginary friend named Nicey. And uh, legit, my mom was like, we need to move because like I'm pointing to people in the room and that sort of thing. We live in this old house in Redondo Beach and I'm pretty certain it was haunted. We move across the country to Virginia to a house that was built in 1860, certainly haunted. Okay. So I have a pretty good sense of this stuff. Matt, you've been at my house. It's haunted.
3: My parents actually told me when I was a kid that your parents' house was like a a old mental institution.
0: (laughs) So I think the term mental institution is being used a little loosely there. I think it was a home for handicapped people. Um, which kind of paints your parents in a bad light, doesn't it? I mean, it was secondhand
3: Um, information, you know, it? it There were wheelchairs,
0: there were ramps and things like that. But I, I guess like back in the day, the treatment of said people was probably pretty fucked up. And, you know, if I was, if I was rolling around for, you know, some length of time and ended up a ghost, I would want to haunt the fuck out of the place that treated me like that. So yeah, like, I did feel like there were some, there was, there were some like um, Professor X types ghosts wheeling around my house growing up. And um, when I got to the the hotel in San Francisco, St. Francis, built in like you know the 1800s or something, like it was an old building. They put me up in a room. I think it was on the the twelfth floor. Um, and when I tell you, I got in that room and I felt like somebody was in the room, a hundred percent. I know that's not a thing that any of my hair standing on end just talking about it. But I know it's not a thing that like, you know, you want to hear with these ghost stories that somebody pinned me on the bed or there was a strange smell or like there was a loud noise or somebody was whispering to me. It wasn't like that. I just checked in and felt uneasy. I felt like somebody was sitting in the room with me watching me. And I have chills just talking about it. And I settle in, I'm studying, you know, for, for the next day. And I'm watching something. I'm probably watching Mario Lopez on extra on loop you know, cause that's what happens when you check into a hotel room, you just lay on the bed. And it's like extra, extra 45 minutes later, it's just Mario Lopez. Um, and all of a sudden the water turns on in my fucking bathroom, the water turns on in my bathroom. No one's in the room with me. So I sprint to the bathroom and shut the bathroom door. I return to the bed and I make sure the phone's not still working. Cause I think ghosts can like, fuck with the phone lines and that sort of thing and immediately i call our our head of security and i'm like dude this room is haunted i need out of this room i'm I'm telling you it's a bad deal don't want to be here and he's like chris you're high or whatever he said he was like just just relax i'll i'll listen if if in two hours at 11 o'clock you're not happy with the room i will change the room so i get ready to go to bed and i lay down and I roll over and all of a sudden I'm getting ready to fall asleep and the room just lights up fucking TV turns on. Okay. And at this point I'm ready. I'm like, I run out in the hallway. <laughs> like I'm just standing in the hallway, dialing the team security guy. It's 11 o'clock at night. Actually might've been later. And I'm like, Hey, more bad stuff happened. I need you to get me to another room. So he gets me in another room. The room feels way better. No, no heebie-jeebies, nothing crazy to report. 1 a.m., I'm getting ready to go to bed. It's not ideal. It's 1 a.m. on the West Coast. It's fucking 3 a.m. in St. Louis, and I'm tired and the whole thing. But I start Googling. I start Googling the St. Francis Hotel, okay? Let me tell you about the Fatty Arbuckle scandal, okay? Fatty Arbuckle, of course, silent film comedian, uh, through a labor party, you know how those, those labor parties can be, uh in 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 a suite uh of rooms overlooking the corner of gary and powell streets uh and all hell broke loose according to the prosecutors this is 1921 fatty raped actress virginia rap with a bottle causing her to bleed to death do you know what room that happened in no. stop 1219 <sighs> I'm just telling you, bro, this shit's real. I lost a lot of sleep that night because of Fatty Arbuckle. Piece of shit. Obviously, a rapist and not that talented because how talented do you have to be to be in a fucking silent movie? Uh, I would never say that out loud staying at the St. Francis Hotel, Uh, but. That was a real thing, dude. You know, like it confirmed everything for me. So if you're from San Francisco, I don't know why I wanted to tell the story. It was the only story I have from the road when I went to play San Francisco. I've got other stories, but that place is haunted. Like no bullshit. If you've ever been in there, bad stuff going on in San Francisco.
2: So the St. Francis Hotel is the same hotel where uh, Sarah Jane Moore, an FBI employee at the time, fired two shots at Gerald Ford in 1975 no way so also ghosts and uh attempted presidential assassinations
0: you know and i also think whenever you stay in a hotel there's a chance that somebody kicked the bucket in your room and you don't even know it you know i just uh and I don't a lot of people had sucks there yeah which is almost worse um depending on you know what they look like and where they were you know i'm trying to turn my desk into a business center and it was you know, it was it was a cunnilingus fest there two nights ago. Somebody <laughs> in for a convention cheating on their wife in my room at the Westin. I don't know what's what's worse, somebody dying in my hotel room or that. Um, but I, I feel like that happens more than you think. Um, I was on Reddit. People say it's like you got like a 1% chance that somebody died in your hotel room at any given time. And I've stayed at 100 hotels, so...
2: Did you mention that Al Jolson also died in that same hotel room? No. Who the
0: fuck is Al Jolson? He's the silent film star, right? So if you've been to the St. Francis Hotel and you're a Niners fan, you know, like I don't know if you were fucking with me that night or what, but it, it, it was real. Um, okay. What are you benching slash what's my workout routine? I just want to tell you something. When I was younger, I thought I'm never going to be like my dad. I was like, not going to happen. In fact, like part of the reason I retired early was because I didn't want to be like my dad. And by be like my dad, I mean, physically, I mean, just, you know, guy played 13 years of old football, you know, where he was playing a three man front. They had training camp double days for months. It felt like listen to his stories. I don't know how much of them are true, how much of them are like walking uphill in the snow kind of thing. But I mean, it was it was, it was was brutal. And when you hear about some of the injuries he had and the operations and, and all that stuff, like when I was a kid, I didn't want any part of that. You know, seeing my dad come home the way he came home. You know, I'd hear stories about him shattering his hand and like playing through it. And then my mom and him having to go to the hospital and him just throwing up all over the place from the pain in the elevator. Like that was that's one of many stories i heard and watching him after football not be able to do some of the things that i feel like other dads could do with their kids like and i don't blame him at all but like i'd love to climb kelly with my dad there's no chance that's ever going to happen you know i i you know, just going hiking sometimes or um playing pickup basketball or You know, like, he wore his arm out throwing little, like, it's incredible to me that he he was able to pitch BP for as long as he did. I think we just talked about that. But for the most part, there was a whole bunch that he couldn't do because of football, not only during his career, but after his career. And I just didn't want to be like that. So I retired early, and I felt like, hey, you know, I had injuries, I was pretty beat up, but I don't think I realized how much St. Louis took a toll on me over eight years, playing in constant four-minute mode. On that turf um you know i I think my body is worse than i thought it would be at this point in my life and you know you're talking about bench pressing i haven't gotten under a bench in over a year there are things that i can't do anymore that seem so basic to people that i just can't do and you know like i'll do 30 push-ups i was trying to do like a hundred push-ups a day for a stretch right like a little prison workout thing and the results are great and everything and i eat right and all that stuff but my shoulder's so bad and my neck's so bad that if i do 30 push-ups i'm gonna be shut down for the week you know like that's where i am right now i hurt my fucking shoulder playing flag football with my kids reaching for a flag i ran a mile a couple weeks ago and halfway through the mile i had to stop because of my shoulder okay you know like my knee's messed up. I got to sleep with a giant couch cushion pillow between my legs because my back's so jacked up. You know, my wife tonight, I turned to to talk to my kid, and she's like, your neck's messed up, isn't it? You know, I didn't realize I couldn't turn my neck. I can't turn my neck. So the bottom line is football takes a toll, man. And, you know, as, as much as you'd like to think you're healthier because you're an athlete, like the mileage just makes it so like a lot of my peers... Talk about, I got a friend who, who's got a power clean rack in his fucking garage. No chance I could do that. I got like, I have to work around working out to the point where I lose all momentum when I get started. So, you know, when you, when you look at a former athlete, you know, I, I also think one of the reasons that people, I, I've, I've heard this a lot from people, you know, like, and one of my biggest pet peeves is people being like, you've lost so much weight you're so skinny first off i'm 245 i could throw you through a fucking window okay like ryan clark today was like you know football chris was scary this guy you know i'm like ryan if i walk down the street you still get out of my way wouldn't you like i'm still 245 he's like yes you're a big man you're a big regular man but you're not what you were the point i'm making is I would love to be 255 in cock diesel. I would love to look like Dwayne Johnson. I would like, I would like to look like, uh, you know, some of these guys, but the mileage on my body does not allow me to take care of my body in this stage of my life. So I have to do very finite things to take care of myself. Like I'm on a shoulder rehab plan right now that, that, that's very exhaustive just to get to the point where I can do pushups or, you know, normal shit. And so I think that's, that's the untold toll of football. And like my head, I feel like my head's in a good spot. I feel, you know, sharp, clear, the whole thing. Like, I don't think I have any head injuries, but as time goes on, when you're, when you're a former player, you have a bunch of little things that pop up that they scare you because you're like, could this be football or is this just getting older? Is this just, is this just something somebody else down the street deals with whether it's a sleep disturbance or a strange pain or numbness in your leg or all those things are bigger red flags to former athletes because you know you know what you did for so long and so yeah the weight thing people are like hey you look skinny why aren't you jacked anymore i'm like i I can't get through a week in the weight room so yeah i that's a good question i i i it's a fair question. I'm not as strong as you think I am. Like I can throw you around, but if you got me in the weight room, there's a bunch of things I can't do. I can't, I can't go do yoga. I'm intimidated to go do yoga. Cause I'm going to go in there and be like, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. It's a bunch of soccer moms doing downward dog and I can't get in downward dog or for instance, you know, like that's fuck, that's fucked up. I don't want to be in those group settings. And the worst thing about being a former athlete is anytime you get in a group setting to work out with other people, it's like the highlight of their day they 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 wanna they 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 want to poke holes in you they wanna they want to outperform you they want to question why you can't do this go like, well, I could do that why can't you do that like I don't want to deal with that shit so you end up having to work out alone in a garage and uh and you have to make your own program and 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 do the best you can with uh with a with a beat up body i mean that's i don't know maybe some guys are still in great shape there's some guys that just Kyle is built for, for war. Like his body is so Kyle has a lot of imperfections and he has some injuries that he's dealt with, but I'm pretty sure that he probably feels a little bit more solid walking around day to day. And Kyle doesn't have to lift any weights. You look at Kyle, Kyle's going to look like that. No matter what he does to his body or with his body, he's going to look like fucking, he's going to look like an extra in the expendables. I mean, that's just how he looks uh, and you know i'm just not that guy i'm 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 a talented guy i'm a big guy but if you knew the guys i went to work with and ran into every day it wouldn't be a surprise that i can't do push-ups anymore
2: you did squat a pumpkin you know this fall now when adrenaline's
0: river. running i mean that's a thousand pound pumpkin i was able to flip it on its side like you know like when if a, if you're trapped under a car and shit has hit the fan like i might be able to get the key off the ground like i don't know i might have some some superhuman strength in certain circumstances but not like not in the gym
2: no and but talking about your dad you do have something to look forward to he was jumping off the rock at blue hole at 61 he did
0: right. you know like and and that's the fun thing is like my job as a son is to push my dad to continue to do the things that might be a little scary for him and you know the next chapter is getting him out on the river he will not he's like fuck the river he's like look at that water he's like what's in that water you know like is it snakes is it fish like fuck that he's like do i actually have to get in the water i'm like dude city boy you know um guys It's been fun. I hope you enjoyed uh, Hannah. I thought she was great. I hope to get her back on again when we talk about some more of this coaching stuff when it pops up from time to time. Uh, Full house later this week. Bad back backy. Making myself possibly Kyle. um, Do us a favor. It is that time of year where we need you to write the show for us. There is not enough news to go around. So please... um, When you see the link on social media to this podcast, leave a reply. Tell us what you want to hear us talk about later in the week. We have a fucking tremendous guest. Matt, thank you very much. If that guest holds up Friday, you'll be very happy or sad, depending on who your favorite team is, to hear from this guy. Um, He's one of my favorite coaches in the league, and uh, he's just getting started.